that's another great way to get Thank you, Pastor Allison. Um, and I'm going to directly contradict her. It's not okay to decorate for Christmas yet. Uh, this, this is a uh, Thanksgiving wreath, in case you're wondering. We have the Thanksgiving tree out in the foyer, and we'll replace it with the Christmas tree after Thanksgiving. No, it was a good weekend to get everything put up, so just pretend it's not there. Uh, and the light show doesn't actually begin till Sunday. So I know many of you, this is a big deal. You're passionate like I am that uh, you got to wait till after Thanksgiving. Just know that we are. Uh, don't stress out about that. Um, but huge thanks. Can we just appreciate the teams that came out and decorated and did all that? I'll say, yeah, big deal. It's, it's a lot of work, a lot of work, and I sure appreciate everybody who comes out and does that. Um, there's a rumor going around that I want to dispel right now before we open God's Word together, and the rumor is that Rhonda and I missed church last week because the Huskies beat the Ducks. That is not <laughs> reality, all right? We actually had that week off, and actually Rhonda was taking care of her mom who had a major surgery uh, last week. So uh, congratulations to the Huskies last week. I know that means a lot uh, to, to so many of you, but um, good stuff. I, I hope you got plans for Thanksgiving this week to be with family, to just really enjoy it. I love the traditions of Thanksgiving. You know what one of my favorite Thanksgiving traditions is that I just take a perverse joy in every year? Fellas, tell me if you're with me on this. Isn't it a blast to know that every Thanksgiving, the Detroit Lions will lose a football game? Isn't that funny? <laughs> I mean, it's every year. I actually met a couple of guys, became friends who were from Detroit, uh, and I asked them one time, we were just talking, I said, man, what's that like to lose every Thanksgiving? They said, it sucks as much as you think it does, Greg. So uh, I just, yeah, I just, after the Lions lose, I'm like, oh, okay, it's Thanksgiving, right? Um, but anyway, grab your Bible church this morning, if you would, and open it to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6. And we're going to spend a few minutes together hearing from the Spirit of God. And I want to apologize for my voice. Uh, Weston was feeling the same way. We just, the office just got blasted with flu and cold this last week. And so everybody's kind of dragging around on DayQuil uh, all day. So uh, bear with me this morning and my voice isn't as strong as it normally is. We're all recovering from that. It's going through a lot of homes, a lot of households. All the kids are back in school. So we got those colds and flus going. Apologize for that ahead of time. But when you turn to Matthew chapter 6, let me ask you this. Raise your hand if you've ever said something stupid in public, all right? I mean, come on, we've all done that before, right? Just said something so dumb we can't believe it came out of our mouths. Um, I have a friend that I went to Bible college with. His name's Vaughn, and, and uh, we were uh, in a small group one Christmas, and we were watching a Christmas movie, and they got to the, the part about the virgin birth in the manger, and it was kind of a somber, silent moment. We're all reflecting on the meaning of Christmas, and into that silence, Vaughn says, keep in mind, this is a bunch of Bible college students. Vaughn says, hey, do you guys ever wonder if Jesus had any older brothers? <laughs> Just think about that for a moment, all right? It is the virgin birth. You may not have heard of this before, but that was like 35 years ago, and we still remind him that he said that. Uh, I said, no, Vaughn, Jesus does not have any older brothers. Yeah, 
I mean, oh, and, and if you live in public, if you're in front of people a lot, man, it's just inevitable. You're going you're gonna to say some dumb things. You're going to say some foolish things. I've done it many times. I'm sure I'll do it many more times. I came across a list of things said in public by some of our former presidents. I thought I'd share a few of these with you this morning so you would know you're not the only person who says Imagine, can you imagine giving speeches like every single day and, and how there's just no way to avoid mistakes. So I thought I'd share a few of those with you. For example, former President Bush said this, our enemies are innovative and resourceful. They never stop thinking of ways to harm our country and neither do we. You know, <laughs> maybe a glitch in the teleprompter, I don't know. He, he, was, he was good for these. He said, it's important for us to explain to our nation that life is important. And it's not only the life of babies, but it's also, you know, the life of children living in the dark dungeons of the internet. I got to believe that the teleprompter just fell apart there at that moment he was making up. He said this, what I'm against is quotas. I'm against hard quotas that basically delineate based upon whatever. However, they delineate quotas vulcanize our society. Now, if you can figure out what he was saying, please let me know, because I have, I have no idea. He was also, he said also publicly, one of the great things about books is that sometimes they have fantastic pictures. I thought that was cute, you know. <laughs> President Obama, when he was campaigning, announced to the crowd, I've now been in 57 states during this campaign. I think I have one left to go. <laughs> I think he was a little tired at that point. He said at a, a Memorial Day gathering, on this Memorial Day, as we honor our unbroken line of fallen heroes, I see many of them in the audience here today. <laughs> uh, anyway, it's tough to live in public, right? And to have everything you say be heard in public. I mean, you're just going to make mistakes. It's, it's inevitable. The more public your life, the more you're exposed. And so we've all made those mistakes. But let me ask you a completely opposite question. We asked you if you've ever, you know, made a fool of yourself in public. How about this? Have you ever wildly succeeded in secret? That's worth thinking about for a moment. Have you ever wildly succeeded in secret such that nobody knows about it? Maybe nobody to this day knows about it. Succeeding in secret is the opposite of failing in public. And in fact, we're going to hear our Savior teach us this morning that succeeding in secret is actually the only real success. And he's going to challenge us about our, our tendency to seek approval and notice and attention when, in fact, we always have our Father God's attention. And success is what he sees us doing in secret. You know, in 2016 at the Boston Marathon, there were more than 26,000 runners. And the winner at the 2016 Boston Marathon was a man by the name of Lemmy Heil from Ethiopia. The winners are always from Ethiopia or Nigeria or somewhere in Central Africa. He finished those 26.2 miles in two hours and 12 minutes. I hate him. Do you hate him? Raise your hand. That's just wrong. Two hours and 12 minutes. Pretty impressive. But let me ask you this. Do you know who came in dead last at the 26 Boston Marathon, 26,000 runners, 
And this woman was the absolute last place runner. Her name is Fran Drojda, and she finished those 26.2 miles in a little over nine hours. <laughs> in fact, I, mean, I know, we still hate her because she was able to run 26 miles, but not very impressive by comparison. By the time she got to the finish line, after nine and a half hours, all the crowds had gone home, the timing system had been turned off, the workers were hauling away the bleachers when Fran came across the finish line. She had been gone for so long, in fact, that her husband had called the police, thinking she had gotten lost somewhere. But here's something almost nobody knew in the dark in Boston as Fran came across the finish line with nobody there to celebrate. Here's something almost nobody knew. Fran was one of a team of four women who ran that marathon and between them raised over $5 million for cancer research. Yeah. Yeah, 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 we think that, right? She can't hear us, kind of like clapping at the movie, but I get it, right? We feel it, right? But, but here's the thing. Now, now, let me ask you this. Here's why I tell the story. Who do you think, at the end, was more satisfied, was more fulfilled, who do you think felt a greater sense of accomplishment in their spirit? Or even more pointedly, of all those 26,000 plus runners at the Boston Marathon, who do you think earned God's praise that day? Yeah, even though when she finished, there was nobody there to see it. And then let me get a little personal. At the end of the day, which person would you choose to be if you had the choice? Yeah. Jesus said that when our earthly lives are behind us, his words, he said this, many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. In other words, he said that, that some are in first place now in the eyes of the world, in the eyes of the crowd, in the eyes of their neighbors, families, friends. They're winners, they're achievers, they're succeeders. But in the eyes of God, they're actually profoundly failing. And many who aren't known for any of those things, being winners, succeeders, achievers, who aren't noticed, whose names aren't engraved on any trophies or blared on any headlines or celebrated in any get-togethers. Many of them are actually, God says, in first place in the whole race. And Jesus says that that day is coming when that'll be revealed for all of us when we pass out of this life into the life to come. Many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. That's what's on his mind here in Matthew 6, these first four verses we're going to focus on this morning, when Jesus teaches us, his followers, about this last and first, about this being noticed and succeeding in secret. Let's listen to what Jesus says. Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 1. He says this, Be careful, Greg, not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. So, so when you, for example, give to the needy, Greg, 
don't announce it with trumpets, post it all over TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, whatever, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. That little bit of cheap fame is all they'll ever know. He says, but when you, my followers, when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So that It's a proverb, so that your giving may be done in secret. He says, do it secretly. Don't, don't tell everybody about it. Don't endeavor to make sure everybody knows about it. It's exactly the opposite of kind of our 21st century tendency to, to say, if there's no pictures or video, it didn't happen. <laughs> Jesus says, no, that's, that's, that's not true. And then he gives this tremendous promise. He says, then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Wow, that's very different from our culture, from our society, from what our world says. Let's take a moment to kind of digest this together. Now, you know, if we're honest with each other, there is something in most of us, all of us, that, that craves getting noticed, a certain amount of attention. If we do something, we don't want to be ignored. We want others to be aware of it. We don't want to be taken for granted, we say. We want notoriety for what we do. But Jesus says we need to be very careful. His words, be careful about that attitude. By the way, there's, a, there's an exclamation point on that, be careful, that doesn't really come across in the English, but it's there in the Greek. It's emphatic. Watch out. It's like the kind of reaction you would have if you're a passenger in a car and whoever's driving is about to run a red light. You go, hey, no, red light, stop. You know, that kind of spirit. Be careful, Jesus says. Not to practice your righteousness, to be seen. You know, again, in our, in our social media age, so much effort is spent trying to look good to other people. Jesus says, be careful about that. It's a dead end. It will lead you astray. That desire to be noticed, to be liked, to be affirmed, to be approved, he said, be careful of that. It's a sickness. It will steer you away from the you that God calls you to be, from the you that in your soul you want to be. Some think fame or notice is the definition of success, but God says that chasing it, seeking it, is the first step to failure. The Lord put it this way over in chapter 16 of Matthew. He said, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? To be known by everyone, to be acclaimed, to be affirmed, to be celebrated, but lose their soul. What good is that, he says? And that's exactly what happens to us when we live for notice or recognition or whatever tiny 15 minutes of fame we might be able to grasp in whatever small pond we swim in. I love what Charles Barkley said about fame. Now, there's a quotable guy, Charles Barkley. He's got some things memorable to say. And one of them really stuck with me. He said, remember, no matter what you achieve in life, no matter how much you succeed, a billion Chinese don't care. <laughs> yeah, just think about that. And, and actually now they tell us this week India is passing China, so you can add a billion Indians who don't care. You know, that's, that's amazing. We, we tend to think of ourselves, the United States, we're the center of the world. <laughs> Not hardly. And, and the idea that God is saying is, hey, the attention of the, the masses, he says, or really 
of, of whoever's around you. He says, don't, don't aim for that. In fact, be careful about aiming for it. John Ortberg writes about something called approval addiction, which is our tendency to need to be noticed. And you know, one of the great lies that creates chaos and weak, uh, wickedness in our world is the lie that says that things that matter most are the things that get noticed most. And so we say what's in the headlines is what's most important. God says, no, it's what's in your heart that's most important. We say, well, what's going on in our country is what's most important. God says, no, what's going on in your home is what's most important. And on and on and on we go. Jesus says, aim for what's happening in secret. You know, I, I was struck this week. Uh, most of us know who Elon Musk is, a billionaire. He bought Twitter this week, and he's making decisions about who can be on Twitter and who can not be. And yesterday he posted uh, a, a motto, a philosophy that he says is going to govern who's on Twitter. And he used a, an ancient Latin phrase. It goes back to the Roman Empire. He said this. He said, vox populi, vox dei. Now, you know, if you're not a nerd, you don't know what that means. But here's what it means very simply. The will of the people is the voice of God. Yeah. I mean, you want to talk about wicked? That's exactly not true. But that's what he's trumpeting. That's what our world says. If everybody says it's this way, then the will of the majority, God says, no, 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 no. That's not how it works. I have the last word. And because that's the case, he says to us who follow him, hey, be careful about wanting to get noticed. Be careful about seeking attention. Watch out for that. Instead, aim to succeed in secret. Listen to some of the specifics here that Jesus says. He says, those who chase recognition right, will have no reward. Zero. Nada. Zippo. However you want to put it. He says, if you do what you do to get noticed, you are guaranteeing your own failure in life. Wow. Imagine working for a whole year and coming to the end of the year to get your paycheck and finding out that it's all zeros, <laughs> that you spent that entire year and achieved nothing. That's kind of the picture Jesus paints here. He says, if, if what's most important to me is to be noticed, then I'm, I'm so far off track that I have cut myself off from any real reward, more specifically reward from God. This is a big deal. This idea is a constant theme of our Lord. We see it in chapter 6, verse 4, chapter 6, verse 6, chapter 6, verse 18. James talks about it. Peter talks about it. Paul talks about it. Over in Luke 6, Jesus puts it kind of the flip side of it, the opposite way. He says, woe to you when everyone speaks well of you. Because that's how their ancestors treated the false prophets. <laughs> wow, if you're getting a lot of attention, and if that's what matters to you, then you're so far off track that you, you may think of yourself as being godly, but that you're actually in the category of the false prophets. That's sobering. But that's the power of approval addiction. That's the power of this temptation to think that we only matter if we're noticed. Dear friends, please understand, you and me have to make a, a conscious choice about this because this is the eternity that we are all moving towards. And Jesus is teaching us about that because he loves us. The world we live in will tell you to promote yourself, to get noticed, to invent a brand, to sell your image, but it's a ripoff. Jesus says there's no reward at the end of that road. Can I tell you about one of my most embarrassing moments? Um, 
So when Rhonda and I were, uh, before we went into the ministry, heard God's call to the ministry, we were volunteers. We helped out in the youth group. We were very active. And so one year as we got ready for a youth winter retreat, the youth pastor came and asked me, he says, Brother Greg, that's how we talked in those days. Anybody remember? Brother Greg. <laughs> Brother Greg, would you speak at the Saturday night uh, chapel at the youth retreat. Oh, yeah, I'll do that. Absolutely, you bet. So I got all wound up about it. I'm going to get prepared. I want to do my best. And and the youth pastor at that time was just a funny guy. When he spoke, he could make the crowd laugh. He could make the kids laugh. That was a big draw. And he was just good at it. I thought to myself, oh, boy, I've got to be funny at the youth camp because that's what everybody's expecting. And I worked so hard to do that. And that Saturday came, and, and I, it was my turn to speak, and I got up there, and I was hilarious. I mean, they laughed. They roared. I can still see their faces. We had a tremendous time. And, and then afterwards, I went home to my cabin, and I realized that I hadn't preached the gospel or taught them anything about Jesus. I just made them laugh. And I remember laying there in my bunk and thinking, how did that happen? Oh, my goodness, how did I do that? Well, what happened was I was so worried about being affirmed, noticed, approved, that I forgot what the point was. And I said to myself that night, that's never going to happen again in my life. And it hasn't. Jesus says that's what we want to watch out for. We all have that tendency to aim for approval. You know what? With Thanksgiving week coming down, I wonder how many of us are feeling the pressure of getting mom or dad's approval. Grandma or grandpa, a sister, a brother, maybe a neighbor or a friend. Jesus says, hey, that's a road to nowhere. Instead, he says, aim to succeed in secret. Now, the reason Jesus says this is because there's a judgment coming. There's a moment coming at the end of all of our lives when God has the last word over us and about us. Over in Romans chapter 2, the Bible reminds us of that. It says that on that day, God will repay each person according to what they've done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath. This will take place on the day when God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ. That word secrets is significant. Now, the wonderful thing about this moment is that we are judged through Christ. If Jesus is your Savior, then in this moment, you're covered by his grace. But notice what it says, judge our secrets. Because you see, at the end of the day, all our secrets are made known. And the truth about who we are, not the image we built, not the reputation we manufactured, not, not what the crowd says about us, but what God says about us is the last word. Jesus says there won't be any room on the day of judgment for the images we create. That's challenging. Whenever I, I reflect on this, my mind goes back. I, I've shared this story before. Bear with me if you've heard it, but my mind goes back to my freshman year in college. Went to Northwest University Bible College, and, and there was a professor there, Dr. Bacota, who had been teaching for 30 years. He was a senior New Testament scholar. He was a renowned, celebrated, you know, wonderful man of God. But despite all his years in seniority, he only asked one privilege, and that was that he always got to teach the first Christian doctrine class to the freshmen every year. <laughs> Because he knew how important it was to build a foundation. So he always wanted to teach every incoming class of freshmen their first doctrine. And on the first day of class, I remember sitting down, you get the syllabus and all that. Here comes this, this 
saint into the room, Doc Wakoda, and he gave us a talk I'll never forget. And the gist of it was this. And I understand he did this with every incoming freshman class. He said, look, ladies, gentlemen, he said, uh, in my class, you're going to get two grades. He said, one of them is going to come from me. It's going to be based on your homework and your participation in class, how you perform on the tests, how you engage the material. And he said, that grade is going to be given to you by me, and it'll go on your record, and people will know it. And he said, you're going to get a grade from me in this class. And then he said, but I want you to understand, you're also going to get a grade from God in this class. And it may have nothing to do with your homework or your test or your participation or your mastery of the material. It may have nothing to do with anything anybody else knows about. But God is going to give you a grade this semester also. And he said, I want you to decide right now whose A matters most to you, mine or his. Wow. We were rocked. And in that moment, I realized, hey, I'm not just here to learn the Bible. I'm not just here to learn the wisdom of men about trying to serve God's church. I'm here to learn who my father is and to live for him. And, and, and church, that's the same for all of us. I, I would ask you this morning, whose A are you after? Your friends, your family, your neighbors, your peer group, or your father's? Jesus says, be careful about which one you want. Be careful about which one you seek after. And he gives a wonderful promise at the end of that passage, verse 4. He says, your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. In other words, there's a reward coming to us from his hand that is available to us if we will only make it our ambition to succeed in secret to do what only he sees in serving others and forgiving and loving and giving and whatever it is. This is life-changing when we grasp it, to live for an audience of one. And it has profound effects on us. One of the things it does is it will make us immune to discouragement. You know, the Bible tells us over in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that we, followers of Christ, we don't lose heart. We don't become discouraged. Why? Because though outwardly we may be wasting away, inwardly we are being renewed by day, day by day. And so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. That's the same idea that we live for the life of the soul, of the spirit, the eternal part of us. And Jesus is inviting us to do just that. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. He will because he's watching, because there's nothing unnoticed. Jesus was profound about this on multiple occasions. He said, if you give even a cup of cold water to a thirsty child in my name, you'll never lose your reward for that. Wow, that, that, that changes the whole game we're playing here on earth when we understand that it's what's done in secret that God rewards. 
In other words, he sees every little choice, every little word, every time we forgive, every time we turn the other cheek, every time we serve in children's church, every time we honor him by making worship a priority, every time you give because you know you're just a steward of what belongs to him. He sees and remembers every single time we do the right thing at work or at school because we're conscious of him. He holds uh, before himself every time you've repented with tears and humility, even though it was in secret, every time you you trust in the Lord with all your heart, leaning not on your own understanding. He sees every hour of your life you surrender to a job that's difficult because you have a family and a responsibility or a debt to pay. He sees it when you persevere uh, to heal a troubled marriage because your word means something. He sees it when you honor a corrupt government by giving to Caesar what is Caesar's, even though Caesar's unjust. He sees it when you serve him and other people in ways that garner zero headlines gain you no fame, and cost you more than you receive. In every one of those moments, God sees you. Do you know how when you go to your kid's classroom and everybody's doing something, but your attention is totally riveted on your kids, you know that, or your grandkids? You're like, oh, I want to see what my... God has that kind of focus on you because you're his. And you know how when the class is over or the ball game is over and you go home with your grandkids or your kids and you're just like, yay, yay for you. God is like that in your life. And Jesus wants us to understand that. He sees what is done in secret. Jesus invites us to aim for that. It makes us immune to discouragement. It changes the game. And by the way, it also sets us free from one of the worst kind of approval addiction. And that's when we set out to behave as if our own attitude about ourselves is what matters most. There's no worse or more harsh taskmaster than our own opinion of ourselves. But the Apostle Paul understood that his opinion of himself wasn't the last word on him. God's was. And so he wrote over in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, I care very little if I am judged by you or any human court. I'm not playing for the crowd. He says, indeed, I, I don't even judge myself. He says, my conscience is clear, but that doesn't make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Our world says, hey, sometimes our world will agree. Don't play for the crowd. But then they'll say, just play for yourself. Just please yourself. God says, that's a road to nowhere. No, no, no. Set out to please your father and you will know his reward. Seeking only to please ourselves is the worst kind of selfishness. Van Morris tells the story of his wife trying to teach their six-year-old daughter about giving. And so one morning on the way to church, mom gave her a dollar and a quarter and said, honey, you can, you can put either one in the offering. It's your choice. It's entirely up to you. So they went to church, and, and when they were driving home afterwards, mom asked her, honey, which one did you put in the offering? Well, she said, like only a six-year-old can. At first, I was going to give the dollar, but then the pastor said, God loves a cheerful giver, so I gave the quarter instead, <laughs> you know. <laughs> right? Appro seeking to only approve yourself is a road to nowhere. But when we seek to please God, we find ourselves. Can I just share a personal story? You know, uh, Ron and I were believers for a few years growing up in our Christian faith, and it began to become apparent to us that maybe God was calling us into the ministry. And I remember thinking, no, 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 I don't want to do that. First of all, I don't know anything about it. But second, I kind of have a plan for my life, God. I, I want to teach school. I want to coach sports. I think I can make a real difference in young people's lives by being a teacher and a coach. That's what I want to do. You know, that's kind of my plan. 
But, you know, we were learning about our faith and we were learning that Jesus' way is the best way and his will for our lives is the most important thing. And so after a long struggle, we said, okay, we surrender to this calling. The beautiful irony is, you know what I've discovered in the last 35 years that I do as a pastor? I teach and I coach, you know, and on a whole nother level than what I thought I wanted. In the same way, God says, when you surrender to his call to succeed in secret, you will discover yourself in ways you never imagined were possible. To serve someone else in secret fills you with the same kind of joy that Fran felt at the end of the Boston Marathon. Didn't matter that she was dead last. Didn't matter that the crowds had gone home. She knew that she had done what matters. When we seek to please God secretly, we find ourselves. I wonder if there isn't a part of your life in which this morning God isn't calling you to say, hey, I want to serve in secret. I don't want anybody to notice. You know, if I can let my history nerd out a little bit, there was a movement during the Renaissance among Jesus-following artists where for a couple of decades it was a a trend for artists, renowned, well-known, accomplished artists, to to, uh, compose works of art and then never to let anybody see them. A sculpture, a a painting, you know, or a piece of music. And then they would compose it, and then they would put it in a gilded box and bury it so that the only person who ever saw it was God. Now, they wouldn't do that with all their art, you know, just with a certain amount of it, because they wanted to hold on to this idea of seeking God's approval in secret. Now and then, archaeologists will find some of these works of art, you know, buried uh, by the artists and understand the act of devotion that was inherent in that. Now, they didn't get paid for those. They didn't get rewarded for those by public notoriety, but they chose it because they were aiming for something better. And in the same way, God invites us. This Thanksgiving... Maybe your relationship with your family isn't what it should be. Maybe your relationship with a friend or brother, sister, whoever isn't what it should be. I want to invite you. God wants to invite you this morning. Say, you know what? This year, I'm going to find a way to secretly serve them in a tangible, meaningful, significant way. Maybe you're struggling at work with authority or with, uh, you know, whatever it is. God invites you to aim to serve secretly and watch what happens. Maybe you said, you know what, I, you know, I, I, I've never served in my church before, and it just seems like those folks don't get noticed. God says, no, they're noticed by me. We find ourselves when we aim to serve in secret. That's why Jesus taught this. So let's finish this morning with a couple of practical ways. A couple of minutes will be done here. If you want to write these down, you can. How, how do you aim to serve in secret? Number one, real quick, is to, first of all, to humble yourself. The Bible says, when you humble yourself before the Lord, he will lift you up. James chapter four, verse 10. So when you aim, when you set out, say, God, I want to humble myself before you, then that's exactly when he will lift you up from the inside out. Number two, resign from image management. (laughs) Stop trying to preserve your reputation. Stop trying to build your reputation. God says, no, 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 the the only audience you have is me. And I want you to live in the freedom of that. I want you to know that it's me whose praise will be all that matters to you. And Paul puts it this way. He says, I care very little if I'm judged by you or any human court. I don't even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but it is the Lord who judges me. Number three, turn off the news. (laughs) Please turn off the news. Here's what the news does. It takes all the things that get the most of attention and throws it at you constantly. 
And pretty soon, all we're worried about is what's happening in the country, what's happening in the world, what's happening over there, when God is concerned about what's happening in here. You know, we say, oh, what's going on in the government? God says, what's going on in your house? And so when we turn off the news, what we do is we, we put away that tendency to say, well, if it's getting lots of attention, it must be important. God says, are you kidding? Are you kidding? How did that work for you in middle school? Didn't work very good, did it, right? Same idea. So turn off the news. Number four, remember that your dad is watching. Not just some impersonal administrator in the sky. It's your dad who's come to your game. It's your dad who's come to your classroom. It's your dad who's come to your work, your home. He's the one who's watching. Your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And then the last one is to remember that his reward is worth it. You know, at the end, Jesus says, some of us are going to hear these words, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. See, here's the, here's the great secret the, the devil doesn't want you to know. You will never know a greater joy than when you wildly succeed in secret. You'll never know a greater joy than that. Finish with a story. Um, all those years ago when we were in youth group, we were youth uh, workers in youth group. And uh, one night, just an average night in youth group, um, we were talking afterwards with kids. There was a middle schooler. His name was Jason. And we got to chit-chatting and, and uh, we're talking about reading his Bible. He says, I don't have a Bible. And I did what you would do or anybody else would do. I said, well, here, you can have mine. You know what I mean? I'll give you mine. Wow, really? Yeah, I'll give you my Bible. Well, it's a big deal to him. But, you know, I can go get another Bible. No big deal. That moment passed, that night passed, time went by, and he graduated and moved on. We went off to school, and years passed, decades passed. And I was over in Coeur d'Alene serving the church there, and I get a call one day, and this young man says, hi, is this Pastor Greg from, used to be in Port Orchard? Yeah. He says, oh, can I take you to lunch? I said, sure. So I go to lunch. He says, and it was Jason, it was the same middle schooler, and he said, hey, do you remember that night when you gave me your Bible? I said, yeah, I kind of do, now that you mention it. I hadn't thought about it in a long time, but I kind of do. And then he pulled it out of his satchel and laid it on the table in front of me. He says, man, I didn't have any idea people wrote that much in their Bible. He says, I want you to know, he has four kids now, he's an executive at a telecom company. He says, I want you to know that for the last 20-some years, I've been growing up in Jesus by reading the notes in the margin of your Bible. It's like, nice. I forgot that moment. Nobody noticed that moment. But God did. And now, I get all oogly-googly about it still now. That's what God wants for you. That's what God wants for us. So would you bow your heads, close your eyes with me. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And God, uh, everything in the world tempts us to get noticed. You invite us to succeed in secret. Send us out into this week doing just that, we pray. Send us out into this Thanksgiving aiming to succeed in secret that we might know our master's happiness. We pray for that and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me? Hope you have an awesome Thanksgiving week planned. I know we do. Ron and I get to have a daughter at our Thanksgiving for the first time because my son got married, so now we have a daughter at Thanksgiving. Oh, that's kind of cool, so we're looking forward to that. Now may the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit go with you throughout this week. Go with God. Tell someone you love them. Have a great afternoon.